You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Welcome to this episode of The Zeitgeist. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. We are recording this episode on December 9th, 2021, and I'm really delighted to have two uh, esteemed guests with us. Uh, this is part of a series AICGS is doing uh, titled The Importance of the Transatlantic Partnership in Times of Global Crisis. And we are looking in particular at the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, across a range of public policy areas. We've looked at uh, the effect uh, on disinformation, misinformation, uh, and, uh, and extremism. We've also uh, spent some time and will do more work on the economic uh, impact uh, on both countries. But today we're talking uh, about the public health sector and healthcare workers. Uh, and I'm really delighted to have with us uh, two guests, one from Germany, one from the United States. Uh, from the German side, we have Benjamin Evert, who is a professor of health policies and health professions at the Fulda University of Applied Science in Germany. Um, uh, Benjamin, welcome. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And on the American side, uh, we have a Professor Albert Wu, who is the director of the Center for Health Services and Outcomes uh, Research. He also has a joint uh, appointment uh, in, in medicine uh, and is a professor of health policy and management and medicine. Uh, so welcome, Professor Wu. Um, I, I'd like to start by um, uh, focusing, you know, we're, we're uh, again, December 9th, this is the second day of the new German government, which was just sworn in yesterday, uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz, uh, Minister of Health, Karl Lauterbach, who is himself an epidemiologist. Um, uh, Professor Wu, I'd like to start, though, by talking with you a little bit about the toll that the pandemic has had uh, on our healthcare system and especially on healthcare workers. This is an area where you've done a significant amount of research. Um, and uh, so how has this pandemic affected the people who make up our health system? So that's a great question. And I think that the, uh, the pandemic has had a significant emotional toll on our healthcare workforce. Um, and it is continuing to do so even uh, as things have become perhaps a little bit less desperate outside of the hospital in the, what we might call the real world. Um, healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, and then all of the other essential workers, many of whom do not have professional degrees, have been stressed from the very beginning. They faced a new kind of stress, which is fear for their own health and well-being and that of their families. They've been forced to adapt rapidly to uh, changing regulations, to changing knowledge uh, and to changing work procedures. Many of them have been asked to do things that they don't usually do to work in areas they're not accustomed to. For example, at Johns Hopkins, pediatricians were sometimes asked to take care of adult patients, something which they were, which they never do. Um, they also have been uh, significantly burdened 
by um, and really put off balance by uh, the uh, need to do things differently. They've been moved and so separated from their own usual support systems, their networks of people, some of which they, they've worked with for years. And then there's, uh, there's contention. There is conflict, which is brought into the hospital by people who are unhappy with the care they're giving, who are unhappy with the lack of uh, the ability for people to visit or to have patient, their family members visited. And then people are pushing back about the need for certain treatments. And many people are coming in, of course, who are unvaccinated. These days, the majority of people coming in to the hospitals severely ill have not been vaccinated. And there uh, are all sorts of conflicts about um, anti-vaccine sentiments, or at least vaccine hesitance. People are now working shorthanded. Um, and this is creating increasing stress. People now need to take care of more patients. Uh, they're, they feel like perhaps they're not doing as good a job as they were able to. Um, they're not able to get the help they want. And all of this is frustrating. People feel like the pandemic's never ending. It may be, things may be back to normal to some extent in the outside world, but in here, it's just the same. We're working as hard as we ever have, shorthanded, um, and, uh, and people are still dying. Well, and it, you've, you've described these, these stresses and uh, what's the impact of this, um, maybe in the, in the medium term, uh, short term, on not just the, the kind of psychological well-being, but perhaps also the physical well-being of healthcare workers. And what is the longer term impact of that likely to be in your view? Well, the, the, the I think that um, in, in some ways separating the physical and the emotional well-being in this case may be, uh, may be sort of not completely accurate because I think that those two things are, have been so closely tied in with one another during the pandemic. Um, consequences are that people become uh, so exhausted um, and perhaps frustrated and perhaps angry that they um, either take time off uh, they may not even show up sometimes, um, or they leave uh, for other opportunities. And so now there are significant shortfalls in, in healthcare worker staffing, which makes for much less favorable ratios of work, which makes for more required overtime, more people working double shifts, um, and becoming all the more exhausted. There are, uh, there's been a real increase in, there's been a decrease in mood in measures of mental health, in, in increases in anxiety, increases in symptoms of burnout. And then there's also been um, a, a real sharp increase in the number of people requiring medical mental health care. Uh, people who have existing conditions, perhaps anxiety, perhaps um, dysphoria or depression, um, they are, the numbers of, of visits have doubled. Uh, or perhaps even more uh, for treatment of those measures, which again have real serious consequences for the workers, but um, also puts additional strain on the system where mental health is has always been under prioritized. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Professor Evert, um, how does this look uh, from a German perspective? Do you see the same um, uh, kinds of uh, manifestations that Professor Wu was just describing on the German side? 
Uh, yes, um, but but let me let me start with a, another observation, which I think fits well to your question. Um, I mean, the, the pandemic clearly revealed uh, systemic specific bottlenecks of health systems. And uh, these uh, uh, bottlenecks demonstrate systemic weaknesses, soft spots, which could be compensated in times uh, of stability, but uh, which become very problematic uh, if health systems are hit by a pandemic or a major crisis, etc. And obviously, the uh, disastrous situation of healthcare workers is one of these bottlenecks. But, um, but just to give you some numbers, in, in Germany, one nurse gives care to 13 patients. Uh, at least I, I, I read that the ratio in, in the US is a little bit better. Uh, one to five, one to seven, uh, these are the numbers uh, which, which uh, uh, I got from the literature. But in, in addition to, to these, um, to, to, to these uh, unfortunate ratio, we have a shortage of 120,000 carers in nursing homes, 50,000 nurses are missing in, in hospitals. And by 2030, we will have more than 5 million, um, 5 million people in Germany in need of care. Um, so the, the situ situation has been more than strained even before, even before uh, the pandemic, or as, and that, this is, I think, uh, not funny, but uh, last week, striking nurses in front of a major hospital in Munich, they, they, they had a, a, a sign with the slogan, uh, before Corona, it was crap too, yeah, and... <laughs> I think this uh, this is a very accurate um, um, observation. Yeah, but when it comes to to the uh, emotional toll, uh, as um, Professor Wu um, put it, the, the same holds true uh, for for Germany. We we there there were uh, studies um, published, for for instance, after the first wave in in August 2020 that uh, showed an increased level of, of stress and anxiety um, among nurses, interestingly, uh, more among healthcare workers, nurses, and so on, not so much among medical doctors. Maybe this changed over time. Uh, this would be uh, interesting to, to, um, to learn. And uh, I think what, what was interesting for me when I went through the, the studies um, that uh, there's also the feeling of, um, oh, I cannot trust my colleagues in difficult situations anymore because I'm so stressed. There's so, so many things to do at, at the same time and the, the feeling of a loss of uh, trust. And um, yeah, um, and it's very difficult to recover yeah, for, for, for healthcare workers anymore. So I think I... Um, can um, yeah, prove that the situation in, in Germany for healthcare workers is difficult as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the strengths uh, and one of the commonalities that the, the United States and Germany have is they're both uh, very federalized systems. Um, uh, and uh, in, you know, in theory, this is supposed to allow for 
uh, different approaches to be tested, to evolve and adapt to local circumstances. Um, but it seems to me that we've had very different manifestations of federalism in the pandemic. Uh, in, in Germany, there has been an effort, not always successful, but an effort nonetheless for the federal government to bring all of the states along in the same direction, um, to have roughly similar policies um, in reaction to different phases of the pandemic. In the United States, um, uh, federalism, uh, the, the federal government has not played that role. Uh, and, and I'd be interested to hear from you, Professor Wu, um, how you see the, the contribution or perhaps the detriment of federalism in the response to the pandemic um, over the last uh, 20 months. So I think that federalism has had uh, a few advantages. Um, as you said, that there is the opportunity for um, different approaches and perhaps innovation to spring up in, uh, in one jurisdiction rather than the other. I think that for the most part, federalism has caused a split um, in the impact of the pandemic, uh, which sadly has been uh, largely along political lines. Um, the, the pandemic in the US has been strangely politicized so that uh, uh, many, uh, you know, per perhaps uh, who are uh, on the Republican side wear as a badge of courage resistance to uh, being dominated by the, uh, by the government, by the authorities, um, and uh, see that it is, it's a good thing and an honorable thing to resist uh, vaccine and vaccine mandates. This, however, has had disastrous consequences for the health of those jurisdictions. Um, I think that there, um, that on the other hand, there have been some, uh, uh, even though many say that the US doesn't really have a health system, it has many health systems. Um, there ha there ha are some things that are a bit more systematic. For example, the Centers for Disease Control, the FDA, um, uh, Medicare, um, that pays for the majority of the care, at least of older individuals. Um, uh, and there have been some um, uh, either regulations or some guidelines which have come, uh, which have been adopted more or less uh, universally by the states, by, you know, by the, by the, the, the federal uh, entities. Uh, one of them is, for example, the um, hospitals adopting an, an incident command structure uh, which uh, allows uh, uh, top leaders and managers to work together more or less in real time to break down the, the usual barriers and uh, uh, ways to cooperate. Um, and this has been something which, uh, again, is um, has been embraced by virtually all of our all of our states, and which I think has helped uh, standardize uh, and directs how hospital care is delivered. Uh, and there's been uh, a bit less variability in, um, in the quality of care. Professor Evert, um, how, do you, uh, how do you assess the performance of German federalism and, uh, and do you see emerging um, uh, best practices um, uh, similar to what to Professor Wu was just uh, identifying in a couple of areas? Yeah. Again, that's difficult. I think the, the challenge during the pandemic has to be um, 
balance clear and straightforward regulations by the federal government with more decentralized solutions that take regional situations and preferences into account. For, for, for instance, uh, in Bavaria, there were, were always stricter regulations than, for instance, in Mecklenburg for Pommern in East Germany. So for me, that, that was okay because uh, the incident rate in, in these different states were uh, always um, very dif different uh, throughout the pandemic. However, um, de facto German federalism means that we have 16 school systems and 16 COVID-19 protection regulations. And uh, reaching some basic level of consistency is, is very, very difficult in, in Deva. Uh, and uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, pandemic there, there was the, yeah, the endeavor of uh, revising the federal, federal state by tighten, tightening the infection protection law, which gave the federal state more power. But throughout uh, the, the pandemic, we observed that Lander had very much leeway to implement um, corona protection laws, uh, yeah, to interpret their, their laws from very differently from, from Bavaria to North Rhine-Westphalia to Saarland to Saxony and, and so on. And um, I think in, in two areas uh, of health policy, these, these patchwork um, was, was quite problematic. First of all, um, the, the federal government was not able to launch a coherent national vaccination campaign. And this really fired back uh, at the beginning of the fourth uh, wave uh, when we sadly noticed that only 60% of the German inhabitants are fully, um, are fully vaccinated. Uh, and uh, now uh, the new government uh, tries to, to um, build up a, a more coherent um, a vaccination campaign but but this is quite quite difficult uh, the same by the way uh, uh, holds true for for effective communication uh, like to public health communication to to improve uh, the the public health literacy uh, of of uh, of german uh, citizens and uh, th there was no um, no coherent uh, communication strategy. And uh, I think in, in one other sector, which is often overlooked, um, uh, federalism and uh, back and forth shifting of responsibilities was very problematic. Uh, this is the, this, uh, I um, refer to the situation in nursing homes. Uh, because here we really observed uh, a lack of accountability th that this was more or less an organized non-responsibility. Uh, there was no directive how to deal with nursing homes uh, when they should open or when they should be closed and who is in charge. Obviously, uh, the federal government was not in charge, but it was not clear whether the federal states are in charge or the municipalities. And uh, here the situ situation 
uh, hardly improved throughout uh, the single waves of, of the pandemic, which, uh, by the way, demonstrated um, yeah, the, <laughs> the fact that that care and nursing homes are not so important in comparison to hospital care. Yeah? And this is, I think, also a learning from, um, from the pandemic that uh, health systems have different uh, sectors and that they do not play on the same um, level. Yeah? Some of them are more important than others. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor Wu, what about those different uh, components of the health system that uh, Professor Avert was just talking about? Uh, care homes and uh, similar facilities compared to hospitals. Uh, do, how do you see that, uh, uh, that balance uh, from, uh, from your perspective? Um, I think it's, there, there are quite a lot of similarities. Uh, one interesting similarity is that um, the, uh, the U.S. has perhaps had more direction um, in requiring vaccination or recommending vaccination than perhaps uh, you know, from, the, from the, the central government. And vac however, vaccine rates are similar to, to uh, overall nationally, but there's, they're much more uneven. There are states where the vaccine rates are much higher and there are states where the vaccine rates are much lower. This, um, uh, you know, for the moment uh, is, this is a quasi stable situation, but of course, if there are pockets of high infection, um, this, is, uh, this has, is bad news for everyone as more infections will breed more resistance and then more infections overall. Uh, I think that hospital care uh, as uh, in the US as in Germany has uh, traditionally received more funding um, than um, other components of the system than, than public health and in particular, in particular long-term care. I think that the, uh, uh, the amount of regulation and in particular the amount of accountability for nursing homes um, has been um, less than uh, would be ideal. And the, uh, the, the pandemic has really exposed um, the, the lack of resilience in the system. I think that um, it is possible, if your system does not function perfectly well, if there are gaps in the system, as long as there are, if there's enough reserve, as long as there's enough, um, uh, there are enough extra people to, to make up for the, those gaps, um, things are likely to look like they're okay. But uh, when the overall uh, supply of resource, both human and financial, um, is reduced, those gaps are exposed. Um, they've been there all the time, but we've been able to, to fill them in. And uh, I think the system uh, is not as resilient as it uh, should be and is even less resilient now as we are short-staffed. Um, I think that, um, and, uh, that it, interestingly in the U.S., and maybe this is a, a U.S. phenomenon, um, there have been um, a number of uh, uh, venues for effective communication. Many of those are personal. And uh, for, so, for example, uh, uh, Tony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, who is... Um, you know, the, the nation's expert on infectious disease um, is has been a, a real uh, has been a terrific spokesman for uh, for 
what people should do and has been able to express this in pretty clear and pretty plain terms that people can understand. They may resist them, but they, they're still understandable. Similarly, the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, um, has been an effective communicator and in many ways has been um, uh, a, a, a very constructive leader uh, that, and represents a national voice. Um, I'm not sure if that is, is really the case or, or not. Uh, so much in Germany, maybe there we, we're a little bit more obsessed with, you know, personalities uh, in the U.S. But I think it's also, you know, there, there is, it seems to me there is a, there is a desire, a public desire, especially in a crisis, for certainty. And that is, in a way, precisely what we don't have. Um, in this pandemic, because you have uh, mutations um, of the virus, you have emerging um, uh, knowledge as studies uh, are done uh, on best practices uh, to, to try to contain the spread of the virus. And it's, it's in that um, environment of, of uncertainty and, and constant adaptation that I think we see this, uh, a bit of this breakdown or loss of confidence in public communication. Um, I, and so, uh, Professor Wu, I'd like to ask you to sort of draw that out a little bit. Where do you see improvements in American health policy during the pandemic? Um, where you think um, either in, in, a, in a particular state or at the national level, we've learned a lesson uh, and implemented it um, uh, well. Yeah, I think that uh, we have learned uh, to some extent the value of coordination. And I think that uh, something we didn't get a chance to discuss uh, a bit earlier, and perhaps I should, should have mentioned, is that, the, um, that our federal system um, or our, the balance between central government and federalism in the U.S. has also resulted uh, in, um, in, in this case, there have been some um, earlier wins for centralization. Um, through perhaps uh, only somewhat semi-governmental mechanisms. For example, there's been a, there was uh, there were billions of dollars of support for to develop electronic health records um, in the past decade, and uh, in the last 15 years, we've gone from sort of four percent of hospitals having electronic health records to 100 percent, and virtually every outpatient practice also having an electronic health record, and so. Um, we, um, I think uh, there have also been vaccine regist national vaccine registries as well as local. And uh, in, the, uh, in the last 18 months, I think people have learned the value of data and the ability to, uh, uh, to both collect it, but then also use it um, in almost in real time. I think the, the Hopkins uh, COVID dashboard is probably the archetypal example of this. Not only was it used in the US, but oddly enough, it's been, it's used in other, other countries as well to say, you know, the, 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 um, the incidence of COVID in our country is so-and-so according to Johns Hopkins, um, you know, sort of an odd, uh, an odd uh, thing to hear. Um, and, but uh, I, I think that we've uh, in the best cases been uh, able to use those data to, for example, identify even in Baltimore uh, and in Maryland, that early on there were significant disparities that emerged in the uh, infection rates and death rates 
and um, vaccination rates for underrepresented minorities, for in particular uh, black and lat Latino uh, uh, inhabitants. Um, and uh, the state and the cities targeted um, very tailored campaigns to, for example, improve vaccination rates, um, in, in, improve mask, mask wearing in those jurisdictions. And um, over the last, uh, this, this began in fact, in the summer of 2020, and now the, the rates uh, of all of those things are quite even across the state, not different, for, for example, from black and white in, in the state of Maryland. And that is a direct result of both having the tools and then uh, figuring out how to use them. Okay. I think that, oh, I think that uh, people have also, uh, I think the, 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 the term supply chain was uh, virtually never heard before, um, uh, but but people appreciate that uh, that that supply chains are vital, um, and I think there's a little bit uh, less of uh, uh, infatuation with sort of just in time uh, planning, and uh, we're going to order things on the the day before we need them, and then everything will be okay. Again, this is perhaps increasing the resilience of the system. I think that. Finally, the, the, the importance of mental health and the problems related to mental uh, health, you know, sort of uh, problems, uh, I think that they're, they've become a little bit destigmatized. I think when everyone is anxious and nervous um, and fearful, uh, it's kind of normal uh, for, for that state to occur. And, and uh, there uh, is much more need then for some, uh, for more mental health services. So those are just a couple of examples, I think. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Evart, uh, over to you for uh, lessons and perhaps improvements uh, that you've observed um, from, uh, from the German perspective uh, in the response to the pandemic. Yes. Um, I mean, a key lesson from the pandemic was that Germans and, of course, policymakers rediscovered uh, the, the three pillars of the German health system. And I mean, the, the first two pillars are obvious, outpatient and uh, hospital care. But uh, the, the third one was neglected over decades. Uh, it's the public health service. And um, at, at the beginning of the pandemic, it, it, became, uh, it became clear that um, Local public health departments are the, the, the most important institution, institution to track and trace uh, infected uh, patients. Yeah? And, um, and at the beginning, that was very problematic because um, these, um, these, uh, these local uh, health departments were understaffed uh, they they did not have the uh, digital infrastructure to uh, to register um, cases uh, etc and uh, of of course um, yeah there were um, uh, many other problems but um, but really policymakers uh, understood in 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 August uh, 2020 that we really. Uh, yeah, we, we have to, to give this pillar of the German health system, public health, uh, a new start, a boost. Yeah, 
So, and um, the, the parliament, uh, the government um, passed the so-called Pact for, for the Öffentlicher Gesundheitsdienst, which is the public health service. It's, it's uh, about four, four billion uh, euros. And um, I think this is really uh, very important because um, it, uh, it, it, it increases uh, the, the opportunities, not only uh, uh, he, now at, uh, in the pandemic, but also in future uh, to, um, uh, to respond to uh, future major health crises related to climate change and so on. And also I, uh, what I've, uh, I think is uh, worth mentioning that um, together with the public health service and other uh, local departments, there were first efforts to install a, a policy approach with, which is called health in all policies. Probably <laughs> Mr. Wu is very much aware of this um, approach uh, developed by the uh, WHO, but in, in, so this was very theoretical uh, in, in the past, but uh, we really witnessed that different policy departments, also those who are normally uh, not uh, dealing with health issues, fully concentrated on public health and the protection um, uh, of, of, of people. And, uh, and I think this was a kind of common learning because then you probably remember that uh, in, in this summer we had this, um, how is it called in English? This flute, flat in- A uh, flood. Flood in, 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 um, in North Rhine Westphalia. And, and then, um, and, and, and I think these are cases which will become more uh, uh, important um, in, the, in the next years. And uh, uh, these uh, requires uh, health in all policies uh, where public health, um, public health departments um, yeah, help, help uh, or steer um, policy efforts to, to protect um, citizens. So I think that was really um, a, a good learning. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether our the germ health system really has become more resilient I, because this I would say is something we could assess maybe in two or five years. Uh, too much things are happening at, at, at the moment and yeah, we will see. Well, we clearly have a long road still to travel uh, in the United States and in Germany and globally um, with regard to this pandemic. Um, uh, but I think uh, we've heard today some, uh, some really important um, uh, experiences and lessons, whether it is digitalization, um, the use of data, uh, the destigmatization of mental health uh, issues, comprehensive government approaches and the importance of public public health services and public health personnel. So I wanna thank uh, Professor Benjamin Ebert, uh, Professor Albert Wu from uh, the universities of Fulda and Johns Hopkins University respectively for spending time to look in some depth at these issues today. And uh, we look forward to continuing this project to look at the COVID responses uh, and uh, wanna thank you both for your time and thank all of our listeners, and we look forward to having you with us 
on the next episode of The Zeitgeist. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.